This morning I'm going to be looking at Romans chapter 4 into chapter 5 verse 1 only. Um, I'll read it to you, it's a, I don't know, there's a fair few verses so stick with it. Start the clock as soon as I finish reading the Bible, all right? The heading in my Bible is Abraham is justified by faith. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous, or counts, yeah, excuse me. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be count, that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom He believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> when I was preparing, I didn't realize how many times the word circumcision was used in that passage, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Because <laughs> I was dealing with bits at a time, it didn't seem that many, but when you're reading it out loud, all of a sudden there's a lot of circumcising in there. So, to the point almost, it's painful, literally, you know, so, anyway. I'm sure that there will be several of us here who've experienced that horrible situation when we go to bed at night, and for some reason we just can't sleep. And then what happens is we try really, really hard to go to sleep, And the harder we try to go to sleep, the more difficult it is to go to sleep. And it becomes this perpetual circle that we go round. We might try a lot of different things. We might get up, go downstairs, look in the fridge, have a snack. We might make ourselves a cup of tea or Horlicks, depending on your age, of course. And um, we might stay up a while, then go back to bed and try again, sometimes only to find that actually we still cannot manage to rest and to sleep. Professionals call it insomnia. And the most common causes are stress, anxiety, depression, noise and discomfort. But the reality is there is a huge difference that you will know because the moment you manage to have a good night's sleep, your life actually changes. It's transformed from struggling and then maybe catnapping through the night and then you wake in the morning. And if you're anything like me, if I wake, if I, if I go to bed and I fall asleep early, um, it is terrible. I wake around two and then I'm awake till at least 5.30. And if I manage to fall off to sleep rather than get up, I then fall into a really deep sleep. And when I wake up, I feel absolutely awful. Absolutely awful. But when I've had a good night's sleep, I've gone to bed and I've slept clear eight hours without any difficulties, with no interruptions through the night. That next day, for me, you feel reinvigorated, alive. Things that the day before when you, were, you had struggled through the day, every little thing became hard work. And yet on the next day, because you've slept... 
you find that you can face anything that is in front of you. Small things which irritated you the day before are now just something of nothing and can be left. You might say, Dave, we didn't come here this morning to read the NHS website on insomnia. But there is a sense where Christians go round that similar circle in their walk with God. Or there are people who actually want to believe, but go round in circles, wanting to believe in God, but not quite experience his presence and his power and his change and transformation in their life. There are people, especially as you look at the news in this day and age, who are desperate for peace. The people in Gaza and Israel are probably the, are desperate for really peace because of what experience they are having right now. There are other places in the world where people are looking for peace. Scripture says that when we find God, we have peace. Peace. And it's not just any peace. It's a peace, this is the King James Version, I think, but it is a peace that passeth all understanding or any understanding. And so in our exploration of Romans so far, Paul is trying to bring people to a place where they will understand that they, and we wrestle with this, they don't have to work so hard to try and appease God and make themselves acceptable by whatever they can bring or do for him. And so chapters 1 to 3, which we've already looked at, Paul suggests if we want to talk about what we deserve or we're entitled to, because there are people around who really believe that they deserve, if there is such a person as God, then they deserve or they should be entitled to spend eternity in heaven with him. But Paul says, best of luck to you, because if you're trying to earn it, if you're trying to work for it, that is not what will happen. And here in chapter 4, he starts to unpack more about what it means to be justified by God, not on the basis of what we can do, but on the basis, actually, of one thing, that we believe what God has said. That we believe what God has said. Now, for many of us, that sounds very simplistic, and it is. When you really boil the gospel down to its, its baseline, it is so simple, we get offended by it. We are offended by the gospel. Because there's something in us, we don't want to have an indebtedness to anybody. And yet, when we come before God, there is only one way we will find our way to God. And that is through becoming indebted to him. Because of the gift that he has given to us. 
And so this chapter four begins. And he begins to talk about Abraham, who has been referred to as the father of the faith. I don't know how many of you remember a quote by Martin Luther King when he was seeking to explain to people that it was courage that they required in order to address injustice. They needed to be willing to stand in the midst of adversity in order to stand against inequality and injustice. But the people to whom he was speaking did not feel very courageous because many of them actually thought that to have courage meant that you would never have fear. Courage for them was the absence of fear and they knew that they struggled with fear within them and so they never ever realized or recognized that they had the potential to stand in courage because all the time they were waiting for fear to go. And Martin Luther King says this in one of his speeches, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear but rather the triumph over it. There can be the thought that peace that Paul talks about where we end in Romans 5.1, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That what peace is, is going to be the absence of hardship, the absence of suffering, the absence of struggle. And yet peace, according to the Bible, is not the absence of anything, but the presence of something or someone. And so to have peace in our life, no matter what confronts us, how we find ourselves at any one time, We need to decide to surrender that idea that this must go and rather embrace him who when he enters the situation is peace. Why do we have peace when God enters the situation? Because if we believe, like Abraham believed, Abraham was old, Abraham had a promise from God before he was circumcised. Abraham had been promised that he would, all, you know, his offspring would bless the whole world. There was a world vision by God to bless the whole of the planet in which we live and to bless the people around. And here is Abraham who has not been able to conceive or have a child of his own. And he was looking to hand over his, his wealth and everything he had to probably his head servant. I think it was, his name was Eliezer. And on one occasion, Abraham is remonstrating with God about this. He said, I know what you've said, God. You've told me to look at the stars in the skies and I know I can't count them and you've said that my offspring will be that many and that they will bless the earth, but I just don't see it. I'm a hundred years old almost and I'm almost, as the Bible might use the phrase, I'm almost at a dry stump stage in my life. 
and I cannot produce children anymore and Sarah, her womb is barren. We have not been able to have children but God had said and promised to give him a son. And it says, as it said in this passage, and if you went back into Genesis, you could read it again. It says this, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When we try to work for something, we take away promise. If I promise you something and then say to you, you need to buy it, the promise ceases to be there. I've promised you something. I've actually come to you and I said, I'm going to give you this. And then a little while later, I come along and say, if you want this, that's going to cost you 500 pounds. There is no longer a promise of anything There is an opportunity for you to purchase something from me. Well, God made Abraham a promise. And through that promise, promised to bless the world. Jesus was promised before the foundation of the world. Before God put one thing in place. It says that the salvation that God provided in Jesus was promised before the foundation of the world. God loved us before we loved him. And therefore, here is a promise. And the way that we get that promise and we take hold of that promise is not by being good enough. It's not by working hard enough. It's not by keeping the rules and regulations. It's not by any of those things. It is simply we believe God, when he said that he gave Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. And when we believe, it is counted to us as righteousness. Now, what does that mean? The simplest way to describe that is, you have a bank account and it will have some money in. In fact, there's two elements to this. So the first is, you have a bank account and there's some money in it. And I decide, without telling you, that I'm going to put a thousand quid into your account. Anybody interested? (coughs) And I just put a thousand pound into your account. (coughs) You've not worked for me. You've not provided an invoice. You've not done anything. But I have placed a thousand pound into your account. And the moment it touches your account, I have no control over it anymore. You do. You do. That is what being counted or your believing in God is counted as righteousness. I've count, it's become yours. There is a second side to it, however, which it talks about it being imputed. Righteousness is imputed. And I know some of these are biblical phrases, but I do think it's important we try and understand what they mean. Imputed is a legal term. It is done. 
It is done. And yet there are so many people trying to find God and when you talk to them they just simply keep reminding you of what they do, how much they do. I don't try and hurt people, I always try and treat people this or that nicely and I always try to be gentle and I I try to pass on the blessings that come to me, all this sort of stuff. But that is just another way of people trying to earn what God has given as a gift. We need to believe God. We need to believe God. I don't know how many of you here, when I was younger, I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad was a minister. So I went to church from day dot. I had a few years where I did my own thing and went my own way. If I'm being real, I would say I always wanted to believe, but I always struggled in my early years. Why? Because I was brought up in a Christian home partly, and am I believing because my parents believe, or am I believing because I believe? I, you know, I've got one of those minds that dissects everything 3,000 different ways, and, and it's the way I'm wired, therefore I live with it. And I can remember as a five-year-old at a carol service putting my hand up. I listened to the preacher preach that night and I meant it at five. As a five-year-old, I meant it. I wanted to know God. I can remember later on being in another meeting and hearing a preacher preach so eloquently and well and then thinking, am I really saved? Am I really saved, you know? If God was to come back tonight, like a thief in the night, would I wake in the morning and find my parents gone? And I would have been left behind. And so I came before God again, and I'm, oh God, you know, I'll try better, I'll do better, I really will, I'll try not to upset my parents and all the rest of it. Baptized at 11 years of age because my friends were baptized and then for my years through school, senior school, I just lived any old how the way I wanted to live. And then when I became a fireman later on in life, I had an experience one night at a fire and I went home in the morning and I was serious with God. And all of a sudden the penny dropped the penny dropped. I'd sat for years but never ever understood that all I had to do was believe. Because everything that I was presented with seemed to say to me I had to act in a certain way in order to win God's approval. So as an 18 year old I prayed and I asked God to forgive me, to come into my life and I was going to be really serious. I wasn't going to try and earn his favour anymore. I was just going to accept what he had done for me. But I meet people quite often who are struggling. They have a wrestle with God and they have a struggle 
And they go round and round and round in circles. And it's simply because they can't believe that what God has offered them, it's almost it's too good to be true. And we have always been told if it's too good to be true, it's not true. Now you might say to me, Dave, that sounds all very nice. So does that mean that if I believe in God and I say, okay, I, will be- I believe that Jesus died for me, he's paid the price for my sins, I can live how I like and I can still have peace. I'm going to tell you, if you just try and do that, no, you won't have peace because if you've been serious and handed your life over to God, you no longer exist in that world where you can just do what you like. You want to please God, but there's a difference with wanting to please God than trying to earn his favour. There is a huge difference, huge And it's at the point that we believe God and we are credit, it's credited to us as righteousness that we begin to find peace because God comes in. And the word of God tells us, in, Psalmist writes these words, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Because you no longer have to try and earn his favour, you have the sense of safety with him. And therefore, you have peace. Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When the angels announced the birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. With those who were willing to believe who Jesus was. Jesus told his disciples prior to them abandoning him, and him being taken and crucified and then buried. In John 14, his last discourse with the disciples, he says these words, Peace I leave you with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace. Peace. I can remember between five and ten on numerous occasions crying myself to sleep at night because I was absolutely scared to death that, you know, that, what's that prayer that you say sometimes with children? If I die before I wake and you go on, If I died, I wasn't sure whether I was in acceptance, be accepted. And I'll tell you one thing, I was frightened to death that my parents would be gone in the morning. I can even remember occasion where I called to my mother when I was in the house 
as a very young child and there was no answer. She'd fallen asleep. And I can remember crawling under the kitchen table and pulling the chairs in around me because I actually thought that she had been taken to heaven and I'd been left behind. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. So we come to that place of peace simply by this, believing in the gift that God has offered. It's no longer, my acceptance, once I do that, my acceptance is no longer based on my ability to live a hundred percent right and I know that scares a lot of people and there will be people who might listen to this on a recording afterwards who might say oh no obedience it's all about obedience if you're not obedient that's it right but the truth is something happens when you believe And we get the blessings. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. I love that phrase. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. In other words, it's not like God is up there waiting for you to make a mistake so he can jot it down in his book. So on the last day, when we stand, because we will all at one point have to stand before God. And he gets out the book and he looks up Dave Smith, spelt with a Y. Ah. Oh. The good side, the bad side. I can tell you before I even look at it, unfortunately, my bad side is likely to be bigger and my good side. I want to live like God wants me to live, but I'm not perfect. Neither are you. And that's one of the things that haunts us. But because I've accepted and I've believed in the gift that he's given, I am totally confident that when I stand before him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. It wasn't the doing that made Abraham righteous, it was the believing. Finally, the other morning I woke up, I'm not big into old hymns or anything like that, you know, But I found myself, I can't even remember the hymn. I wanted to remember it, but I couldn't remember it. But I I, I woke up with a a hymn in my head. And I I wasn't singing out loud, but I was singing in my head this hymn. But it was all about the beauty and the love of God shown in Jesus Christ himself. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night 
and you tell me that you are pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. We sang this song this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There is beauty there. Reliance on myself is nothing but sinking sand, quicksand. You know what happens with quicksand, sinking sand? The more you struggle, the more you sink. And the quicker you sink. But when your feet are placed on Jesus, the rock, you will stop sinking and you will stand. And as long as you keep your feet on the rock, you will stand. One last song, forgive me. I don't normally use so many songs, but this week, uh, Coral posted a song on um, Connected Friends. That's a group that the church have together. And I listened to it, And I just love the words. I know the only reason I can stand here unashamed is not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. There's no way that I could earn it. Praise God, my debt is paid. It's not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. I still remember the day he found me, six feet under all my shame, I heard him call me out by name. Hallelujah. The cross has spoken. Jesus, my Savior, bled and died to bring this dead man back to life. Some people say, why should we be exuberant in worship? Well, if you can't be exuberant, when you read and hear words like that and you hear scripture that says how much God loved us. He loved us first before ever we loved him. He gave Jesus before we were even born in order that we could be reconciled, joined back to him. In a relationship that has no barriers, our response should be joyful thanks and a generous living that expresses our deep reliance on him. Let's pray together.
I love Romans as a book. Every time I read it, sometimes I find the passages hard to follow, but when I start to look at them, it just so touches my heart that God was so loving that he gave me this perfect gift with the promise of forgiveness, with the promise of acceptance and the promise that I would be loved always. And this morning, I just want to ask you to consider for a moment, just like we did around communion, where are you with God today? Are you in a place where you know you're not going around that horrible circle? Do you know that God has accepted you as you are? That you don't have to try and appease him or win his favour? You just need to believe. Do you know that? And do you know the assurance that comes from that? If you don't, you can. Right now, where you are. You simply just need to come to God and thank him for the gift of Jesus that he has given Ask him to forgive you for a life of independence without him. And accept and believe that he has given you a promise. And the promise is this, that your sins will be forgiven if you will believe in the gift that he has given. It's not a divine eternity life assurance policy. I pray a prayer so then I can just make sure I get into heaven. It's nothing like that. It's about saying my life is going to be different, but I'm so thrilled I don't have to be perfect. Thank you. Maybe some of you this morning, you, you know, like we all do at times, we struggle in our walk with God. Maybe you're a little bit cold this morning. You've moved away from the center of the fire and that's caused you to grow cold. Well, why not rejoin the fire? Why not come to God afresh today and just say, I'm reminded this morning of your great gift. Thank you, Father. Stir up that that is within me. Fan it into flame again, Lord. So I'm going to pray for those two things and just say to you, if any of you afterwards, I will be at the front door. Some of you might have to go, but my wife and I will be there. And if you want to talk, you want to say, will you pray with me? That's absolutely fine. We will make time to pray with you. If you can't stay today, but you still would like prayer, we can make another time where Liz and myself can make time to be with you and pray with you. So let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for, I can't even think of words that are adequate to describe the gift that you have given to us. 
It's beyond our understanding. It's priceless. We can't put anything on it, but Lord, I want to thank you. You're not, you're not looking for our perfection to come, just simply that we will believe. We will trust what you have said you will do if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So Father, I pray now for each and every person here, whether they don't know you or whether they're cold or whether, Father, if they're burning hot already, that's brilliant. But Lord, just bless them. Increase the intensity of the fire. But Father God, for those who know that they've been in a struggle, they know they've done things that haven't pleased you, Lord, I pray that you will just draw them back to the fire to once again be reignited in that burning way, not just with little embers, but Lord, there is flame. And for those who have not even started to burn yet, Lord, I pray that they will simply come. Thank you for the gift. Not try and give you anything in return to show how thankful they are but Lord, just accept what you have done for them in Jesus on Calvary on the cross. I thank you for your salvation, so rich and free. I thank you, Lord, that you love us immensely. Amen. Amen.